What's up, Dunwoody? My name is Matt Weber. I'm a local real estate agent with EXP Realty, helping families find the perfect home in our wonderful city. I've been in real estate for a little over three years now, and I'm finally getting to the point in my career where I'm comfortable with picking and choosing my clients and where I want to work. In the beginning, when you get into real estate, it's kind of one of those things where you you know take whatever you can get, and I literally took everything. Earlier this week, I was looking at a map of all my closed deals, and it was actually really funny. I was all over the place doing deals in Bethlehem, Atlanta, Loganville, Norcross, Duluth, um, even as far out as Watkinsville. Over the last couple of years, though, I've really narrowed down you know, to the area that I want to work. In fact, I've done five out of my last seven deals in my own neighborhood and two more under contract right now that's inside Dunway North. Um, I'm not driving to show homes in Jefferson or listing appointments in Swanee, and it actually feels really good. More than location, though, it feels good to work with clients like me, clients that chose me, clients that find me instead of me harassing them for their business, clients that reach out to me because they get to know me here through this podcast and stuff like social media. I'm not the rainmaker that sells 50 homes a year and has a huge team, but I'll work hard for you and we'll have a really good time doing it. With me as always is my brother-in-law, Justin Dyke. Justin is founder of PoolDues.com. With social distancing in full effect this summer, you can use the software to reserve a table at your swim club. Um, He calls them pods. Members just go on the Dunwoody North Driving Club website. They claim a particular table space at the time that you're going to hit up the pool. It's that easy. There's a certain number of rentals, so the pool isn't stuffed with people throughout the entire weekend. Check them out, pooldues.com. Now on to our wonderful sponsors. Dr. Brett Friedman with Village Orthodontics has been working to perfect my smile. I've been in his Invisalign braces for the last few months, and my teeth have never looked better. I went in to see my regular dentist this morning for a cleaning, and he was amazed at the results. Dr. Brett has been very busy over the last few months. Seems like everybody wants to get their teeth fixed during this pandemic. So go in and see him. Tell him you heard about him on the podcast. Our second sponsor is Porter Brewing Q Brewery, the best brewery in Dunwoody with the best location in Dunwoody. They can be found in the shops of Dunwoody in the same shopping center as Village Orthodontics. Los Hermanos, the the new breadwinner. Hope everybody knows about the new breadwinner. We met with Jeff from Breadwinner on Monday, and I'll get uh, that podcast out in the next week or two before they open. Really excited about that. They're taking over the Wright's Gourmet location, just pretty much across the street from Porter in that same shopping center. Shops of Dunwoody has really gotten to be the new hotspot. Justin started calling it the Restaurant District. Um, That's where I go more than any other part of the village. Porter's hosting more and more outdoor concerts on Saturday nights. They're working to expand their outdoor seatings. So go check them out this weekend, and you'll be glad that you did. Today's episode was recorded a few weeks back. Some of our most downloaded shows have had to do with education in some way or another. The schools are always a hot topic, especially now that we got the news that we're going all virtual for a while, which sucks. So we thought it would be cool to dive a little bit deeper into specialized work. We found Saren Shapiro at Sage Speech and Learning Associates, who works in speech therapy and consults with uh, schools and families in the area. And Alvatal Cohen with Peachtree Pediatric Psychology, who helps families evaluate their children, helping through tests and post-diagnosis of your child. Together, they can evaluate pretty much any speech, language, or learning delay that your child may encounter and help you and your child get through each educational milestone. It was very informative for us having seven young children of our own, and they were also a lot of fun. So here's our conversation with Avital and Saren. What's up, Dunwoody? Welcome back to the What's Up, Dunwoody podcast. We're here with Avital Cohen and Sharon Shapiro. I got that name right. That's an easy one. Saren, yeah. Saren. Saren. <laughs> 
kind of like Karen, but yeah. you know, oh, I get okay. all kinds of names. Yeah, you don't want to be a Karen these days. I that, don't. That name well. is not going well on the internet. <laughs> Especially not living here in the suburbs. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so we're talking, what are we talking about? We're talking about schools today. I always go in kind of cold with these. Um, Speech and learning. And yeah, all sorts of autism. Is it just you two at Sage? So no, I'm Is with Peachtree Pediatric Psychology. So okay. it's a psychology practice where I specialize in testing and assessment. And I have um, currently three postdoctoral fellows who are also with me and a few other staff as well. Okay. And then I'm with Sage Speech and Learning, and I uh, am the founder of Sage. And we have eight speech therapists and feeding specialists that work with me as well. Okay, and then so Sage is the one that's right on the border of Dunwoody. We're and in the same office space. Same office. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So we like to. We wave at each other down the hallway, collaborate, you know, work together when clients need both psychology and speech. So it's a nice combination. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's a, a you know, kind of a popular thing in Dunwoody right now. Like, with we all have young kids, and they've all got issues in different different ways. Well, the school likes to point out those issues, right? That's it, true. The pre-K, Kingswood, is like it seems like there's just a blanket. Every kid needs the speech therapy type thing, right? Unless you're really... That kid's really excelling. It seems like everyone gets that note. Right? Yeah. My kids didn't have the speech. They had more of the, oh. the other other issues, a little ADD and the... Clearly, it's all my kids then. <laughs> it is not. My kids have been through their rounds of different kinds of therapies as well. And you always want to know what's going on. You know, getting an opinion is always a good idea. And then you have to really balance that between what's really developmentally appropriate, what's expected at that age. Um, you know, we don't want to go too far when they're too young, but we want to make sure they're getting what they need right right yeah. and I'm sure you see this but the boys are a little bit far behind uh, I wouldn't say far behind but they just develop a little bit differently you know the norms are generally the same for speech and language but we like to give them a little bit of leeway you know if we have someone who's turning just turned three and there's a boy and there's a girl sometimes the girls might be a little bit further ahead but one or two months later the boys usually catch up what if, what if my 1.9 year old is saying star war instead of star wars is that okay that's okay <laughs> that's okay that's <laughs> yeah i mean i i would only work on those r's maybe at five or six. Oh, so, ooh, yeah. good he's way ahead yeah, yeah. way ahead of the curve <laughs> sometimes he leaves off the y in classic trilogy and it was just really frustrating me. so maybe i'll bring him in you're teaching him the important stuff though <laughs> yeah. and that that's what's really important it's the content the language content right. before the articulation yes. comes <laughs> Uh, so you guys, I'm sure everything, best things up for you with the shutdown, everything like that. How'd that go? It's been really interesting. We were very lucky that we had been doing teletherapy before the shutdown. So we had our system in place, our HIPAA compliant platform. Um, What I specifically specialize in, which is fluency or stuttering, lends itself really well to teletherapy. Yeah, that would be easy to... Yeah, so it's... Lots of Zoom calls. Lots of Zoom calls. We use use a different platform, but it's similar to Zoom. Um, And that was pretty easy to pivot the whole team pretty much from in-person to teletherapy. We'd been doing home visits, school visits, and clinic visits. Um, So for many months, we just hopped on to teletherapy. We did a lot of parent coaching. Um, The little ones, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, we don't expect them to sit in front of the computer and talk to us. We do a lot of playful parent coaching where the parents are kind of had the therapist in the background telling them how to use the techniques and therapy techniques um, and actually doing them in real play situations, um, which we find has been actually a lot better than the clinic sometimes where the kids come in and the parents aren't there watching us. So right. it's been really nice to generalize those skills to home. And I think it's most important for the parents to understand what's happening because exactly with like occupational therapy that was thrown out with Micah at an early age, we were like, okay, here he is, go fix him. 
And they're like, oh, well, you know, here's what you need to do with him. Like, wait, we have to do this with him? Okay, You're the well, one that's with him. Yes, that's true. That's right. true. Yeah, Especially I mean, if progress, they're not going to sit in front of that, that screen. Yeah. and Progress happens at home and it's being reinforced every day. So if you're seeing us once or twice a week for 30 minutes, that can only do so much. Right. For us, though, the switch to telehealth was a bit more challenging because when we're thinking about psychological tasks, like we're sharing materials, we're like, here, build this, here, write this down and let me look at how you're writing, how you're spelling. Um, And so it was a tough pivot, but my staff jumped in and I think all psychologists around the country kind of jumped in. There's nobody that was doing a ton of teletesting before. Um, And so we spent the last couple months just really learning about it. The coolest test I think we learned was one that was being developed out of Vanderbilt before to reach individuals in rural areas. And it's a test for autism in kids that are three and under. And very similarly to kind of what Saren was talking about there, it's guiding the parent through doing the same things we would do with the kid in the office. So we give them like a list. Here are the toys we want you to have set up. Here's the way we want the room. And then we're like, a, uh, you know, telling the parent, coaching them. We warn them that we might sound bossy because we're like literally saying, do this, do that. Um, but again, we also saw the benefits of seeing kids in their home settings. And when I'm doing feedback with those families, being able to really say, remember when you did this, remember when this is what happened, I've seen a change in, in the responsiveness. And so I really think that some of the tools that we've picked up because of having to do it because of COVID, that we're going to keep it long after we're able to go back when we've seen the benefits of getting to see kids in their home environments. Yeah, I think that's how a lot of businesses are. Yeah, and you can do way further than your local area now. Yeah, I actually was just talking with my assistant. I'm also licensed in Alabama, and I've just kept that license once I moved to Georgia for a long time. And I was like, wow, I could actually still offer services in Alabama, and I know that it's an underserved area. Yeah. Um, So we're starting to talk about that. How do you check for, for or test for autism at age three? Mm-hmm. So, like all kids are weird at age three. I mean, right. isn't that tough to? It is if you don't play with a lot of kids that are that age to kind of see what's typical and what isn't. And the biggest thing is that it's not about any one behavior. Every kid is going to line something up one time, right? Mm. But it's about the persistence of that and the grouping of the behaviors together. So when we have a language delay, and then we also have what's called a repetitive behavior, so that can be lining things up, repeating things, getting really stuck on a certain character, um, restricted interests. When we see the pattern of more than one of these things being present, then we start to look more and more closely and we start to look for just certain patterns. And when they're there, sometimes we know. Sometimes, again, as we were talking about earlier, you monitor and say these are the things we want to be watching for. But we know early intervention just has such a positive effect that finding it when kids are as young as two even um, can be really helpful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can tell. As a first-time parent, I couldn't tell that my oldest was leaning that way, but others could. Like my parents were like, yeah, there's something a little a little different. But I think for a lot of parents, when it's your first kid, how are you supposed to know? Oh, like You don't know clueless. what kids are yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. So yeah. that's why you know, teachers are really important. They're often the ones that are first identifying things to families and pediatricians, and then other therapists as well. That's why I love sharing space with Saren, because sometimes people get sent to speech first, 
And then we can have conversations and say, oh, maybe it's a good idea if they come and you know, consult with me as well and talk yeah. about something. Right. Sometimes when the pediatricians pick up on something and they send them to speech first, it's sort of the less scary first step. Um, and sense. yeah, and like Avital said, when we play with so many kids of a certain age, you kind of get a feeling sometimes. And it's nice to be able to assess their communication skills, which has a lot to do with children on the spectrum, the social communication, nonverbal communication. Um, and it's nice to be able to refer to Avital, who's three steps away, and they can really make that appointment quickly and get some answers. Something that was really nice for me as a professional was actually one of my kids had a language delay. And so I really got to see how she compensated and that didn't hold her back from us playing games and being social, um, doing all, you know, like the little hand play games like peekaboo or patty cake, that we still did those things even though her language was behind, but socially she was right where she should be. Um, and so we think sometimes having that experience then on a broader level, because I'm not just seeing my own kids, I'm also seeing the hundreds of kids that come through our clinic, helps you really catch those nuances. Yeah. You remember when um, Anderson used to like translate for Lars? Oh yeah, he's like Lars says this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but Anderson was actually the one that was uh, leaning spectrum. So he he um, but his little brother wouldn't say a word because he was so demanding about what he wanted. The older one, he was like, oh well, I'll I'll, I'll speak for you. <laughs> but he was like a mind reader. He yeah. knew exactly what Lars wanted at all times. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, I bet it's a touchy subject for a lot of times for both parents. You know, I know there's a lot of things my wife's like, well, we should go do this. I'm like, eh, I don't think we should spend the money, right? And especially with this, where it seems like, oh, well, maybe you could wait it out. You know, kids only two or only three, right? Do y'all see that a lot or co- or every day? Every day? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and so I have conversations with parents. I'm going to share with you guys my favorite analogy. What happens when you learn Spanish when you're two and it's exposed to you then? And what happens when you show up in your Spanish class for the first time in ninth grade and you're trying to learn Spanish? It's a lot harder then. You can do it. You can put a lot of work into it and you can still gain some really good skills, but you're not going to be as fluent. It's not going to come as naturally or as easily as you as it does when you are at a younger age because our brain is just more plastic when we're little. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's been this big push for early intervention and getting kids into services because the idea is that it's easier for them to learn, easier for them to overcome. And then I also see with kids that there's a lot less of a emotional effect if we get ahead of things rather than when we're reactive to things later. So if we know that there's a challenge that's going to present an issue later for a kid in elementary school because socially they're going to be behind because their language is behind, but if we fix their language first, then maybe that won't happen and maybe we won't have to deal with the after effects of anxiety or depression later on. In fact, a lot of research... It's hard being different. It is. It is. A lot of the research on ADHD, it talks about like the... um, The longitudinal studies talk about how early identification and treatment are actually associated with better long-term outcomes in terms of things like lifespan, how long you live. Really? And that's because, right, if you're sad, if you're stressed, that affects your lifespan. And so it's not that being treated for ADHD helps you live longer, but being treated for ADHD helps you not be as depressed or stressed or more accepting of who you are, maybe. And that's associated with longer lifespan. Well, I was going to say, I was thinking for the parents themselves. I mean, it's tough having a kid that's a little bit different. You don't know how to deal with it, right? And there is a lot of anger or depression or whatever it is. Like, 
you know, you see everybody else can talk to their kid just fine. And yeah, do you, you treat can't. parents too? <laughs> of course. I think anytime that you work with kids, you end up working with families as well. And so we do some parent coaching also. There's a great resource here in Georgia, though, called Parent to Parent of Georgia, which connects parents with other parents. Because I think something I've heard from a lot of my families is like, you still don't get it. Like you're sitting there on the other side, easy for you to say from your books, which I get. And for them, sometimes connecting with another family who's going through their same experience, maybe they're a few years ahead. Maybe they're seeing some light and they've right. seen some improvements that that connection can go a really long way towards helping parents cope. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, if you could just you know, connect two parents together, one who's maybe eight years ahead and go, look, some of this washes out. You know, I know he's crazy now, right? And, but, like, this is where he's going to end up, possibly. Biggest thing I miss about our lobby being closed, because I think that a lot of um, really healing conversations used to happen in our lobby as parents got to know each other while they were waiting. Um, and I miss, I miss seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think there's a flip side to it. You know, we, of course, treat speech and language impairments, communication delays, things like that. But as a parent, you sometimes have to think to yourself or we sometimes have to talk parents through thinking what can we treat what's treatable what should we treat and when should we let this child just be who they are you know give them some time to be who they are work on what we think is going to be the most functional and effective and helpful in everyday life Um, but these children are who they are we have to kind of work within what their skills are and what their potential is rather than trying to completely change them. Um, There's some teenagers on the spectrum that I've worked with and we've gotten to the point where we were working on life skills and community skills and getting prepared for college and the parents were looking at specialized college programs and there were some tough discussions about you know, what is this child able to do socially? What are their strengths? What's difficult for them? Um, And when do we just leave things alone and let them be happy and who they are yeah. um, so it's a fine balance and, and I think working I always say working with parents is the hardest part of my job it's definitely harder than working with the kids because right. you really have to manage um, expectations parent learning um, you know telling especially first-time parents about what's expected what's what's okay what's really unexpected um, and helping them navigate those those waters which can be really stressful do you work with some of the other teachers at the schools? Like We do. So we go into schools, homes, and we have the clinic. So when we go into the schools, we do screenings. Usually we'll come in and we'll screen whichever kids sign up for the screenings, which gives us kind of that bridge for parents between uh, knowing your child needs to come in and not really being sure, just wanting to find out is there something going on here so we'll come and do screenings we'll do parent education nights we'll do teacher education Um, and as the therapists go into the classrooms and work with these children every single week they get to know the teachers and they get to know um, what's happening in the classroom and how is what they're working on carrying over into the classroom so we really like to take a whole child approach if you will it's not just a you know, sterile therapy room where they come in and they leave and the skills don't generalize. Yeah. Um, we did in-home and in-school therapy for almost eight years before we even opened a clinic. So that's really a m- most functional way to provide services. Yeah. Help Remind me what this stands for, IEP? What is that? Individualized Education Program. Oh, okay, so right. Is special. that at the schools? Yeah, that's a, so that's amazing. And if you can get your kid into one of those, do it. Right, and also you have to be your child's advocate, especially in the public school system. There's so much happening in the public school system and so many people working with your child. And I think a lot of children are 
using the resources. So you really have to be in there and be your child's advocate, you know, and, and we can help on the private side, giving parents an idea of what the child really needs and what to fight for. And that's what I was just thinking is that if you go in early on, then you can start to tell these parents, this, this, these are the next steps that you really got to do early on. Right. And so that's what a psychological evaluation helps me do. When I finish that with a family, I come up with a treatment plan for them. And that includes things like saying you need to reach out to your school and request an IEP. Or sometimes it's a 504 plan, which is a little bit less intensive than a, um, an IEP. And to me, the most important appointment that I have with families aren't all the ones leading up to the testing or even the testing appointment, but it's that last one when I'm saying, here's everything I learned about your kid, and now here's what you can go and do about it to help them be their best self. Because that's the goal of an evaluation is what do we need to put in place to help that child maximize their potential. And also when you're working through the IEP process, the school systems will sometimes let you pick an outside uh, provider to do an, ob- an objective evaluation. So I often get called in by different county systems to come in and do an outside speech and language evaluation, which the parents and the school can use for a little bit of a, an objective you know, measure of how the child's doing, what their skills currently are. Um, and we do that pretty often. And it's a nice way for parents to feel like they're being supported from someone outside the IEP bubble. Right. Yeah, because I, I, did, did the schools push back on the IEPs? Because it costs them a whole ton more money, right? To... It depends on the school. <clears throat> okay. So it really yeah. depends on the school and also how they view things. Because sometimes what we are having to do with schools, too, is educate them about how something doesn't look like a need, but it really is, or it's going to turn into an issue. One of the bigger issues I see sometimes are kids who are doing really great on their IEPs, and so now the school wants to take services away. And we're having to say, but they're doing so well yeah, because that's why you, doing you well. have these supports. Please don't take the rug out from under these kids. And so needing to talk about that and try and figure out how do we how do we get kids in the least restrictive environment possible? Because I don't want kids you know, not having access to things, not being in typical settings if that's where they can be successful. But also I don't want a kid to just walk in and have everything removed that they're used to and suddenly not be able to feel the way that they have about school for a long time. Yeah, that's interesting. So is this stuff like super expensive? (laughs) (laughs) Jump right in there. So it depends. A lot of this can actually be covered by insurance if you find a provider that takes it. So at Peachtree Pediatric Psychology, we take a lot of insurances. And insurance will cover testing that they consider medically necessary. So autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, emotional issues, and even some behavioral concerns. A lot of times we can get covered by insurance. The one thing we can't is educational testing. If it's related to a learning disability, it's really academically focused, they look at it as being the school system's responsibility. Even though the school system doesn't have the resources to really always do that testing, but we often can bring the cost of testing down significantly, even if it's academic, because there's usually a medical part of it too. Yeah. And then if there's not a learning issue, then all of it can usually be covered by insurance. Oh, and wow. for speech therapy at Sage Speech, we also take a lot of insurances, Medicaid, the Katie Beckett waiver, um, other large commercial insurances, and we have a pretty good coverage rate. Um, there are a couple of plans out there that have different exceptions, like they might have a medical necessity clause as well, where we have to show a medical reason why they need speech. But on the whole, I'd say about 85% of what we do can be covered by your insurance company. Okay. Um, we submit the claims for the patients, we follow up, we have an, a billing department as well, so they don't have to really do much except for make sure we have their insurance information. Yeah. Um, teletherapy is now being covered, so at the beginning of this lockdown, we fought pretty hard to get coverage for our patients. I was in touch with the insurance commissioner of Georgia. I had um, 
calls into the different insurance companies and medical reviews for all of our patients' claims. And in the process of the last few months, we've had about 90% of the claims covered, oh, wow. which is great. That is great. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a fight, but they've started covering it. And that really helped our patients keep going with therapy, mm-hmm. especially via teletherapy. Um, the ones that stop therapy for a time, we were worried that they were going to have some regression and, you know, stopping so suddenly, um, especially without, with the parents trying to figure out what this means now, being at home, working from home, also trying to get therapy going. Um, so having it covered has been a huge relief for a lot of families. There's like a million things that run through your head when like somebody says occupational therapy or like, oh great, you know, like it's a lot of work for me. It's going to cost a whole bunch. Like we're going to have to deal with this for, you know, for the rest of their lives. And yeah. So I see parents like putting it off because they're worried about the cost. Exactly. And, and then a lot of times they come we're in trying and they're to like, do wow. It on their own, right. You know? And right. so it's just always good to reach out and you can always, you know, walk away if you can't, if you can't handle it um, at the time or know what you'll need to be ready for later. But if you ask, sometimes you'll be surprised that the answer is it's really within your grasp, both in terms of your resources, Mm -hmm. not just financial resources, but your time as well. My goal is always to talk with families and say, what do you have and how can we fit this in? I have three kids myself. I know what it's like to be a parent, you know, and we can't ask you to do three hours of stuff outside of your work day. Right. Absolutely. And also, it's nice to help parents work these therapies into their regular routine. So when I'm doing um, fluency or stuttering therapy, and I've talked to the parents, the, the, the specific thing about fluency therapy, especially for the young kids under age six, which is very important to consult with us before age six if your child is stuttering, um, the important thing is doing the therapy techniques every day. It's really important but it's five minutes and you can do it during bath time. You can do it while you're riding in the car. You can do it during dinner time. You can do it as a family game. So there's a lot of ways to work it into your routine. And we often sit down with the parents on the regular and say to them, what's your life like this week? What's happening with your work schedule? What's happening with the kids? Oh, here's where you can fit it in and here's what you need to do. Um, So I think talking with parents and helping them see that it's not as scary or overwhelming as it seems at first makes a really big difference. Yeah. What are, uh, what are the feeding and oral motor impairments? How do you do that with like teletherapy? Yeah, so we have some amazing feeding specialists on our team. There's three of them. Uh, one of them has been with me for about six years now, and she is wonderful. Um, feeding therapy is really unique. We get a lot of kids who are going from tube feeding to oral feeding, and then we get a lot of the picky eaters. And the particular approach that we have, um, it's not scary, it's not forceful, it's very family-based. Um, you start very slow, you know, things like preparing the meal together, letting the child play with it, touch it, it's on the plate, they don't have to eat it. Um, It's a really systematic step-by-step process and parents are relieved often within the first week or two at how non-scary it can be, especially when food becomes a power struggle. Um, and tell I thought you just yell at them. Eat your food. Just eat your dinner. Yeah. Um, it's a little different when you're having that, you know, that a sensory-based or, or physical dif- difficulty. But um, teletherapy has been great for feeding. We've really been able to have sort of a window into the family's kitchen and they walk them the through. They put the computer on the. They put the computer on the counter, and the therapist will talk them through preparing the meal together and touching the different foods and what to put on the plate and what's okay to have just on the table, but not necessarily forcing them to have it on the plate. Um, it's been fantastic. It's what, actually been a lot of fun. What's the least favorite food out there? Oh, 
for kids. <laughs> you know, I think... I bet it's green. I would say that. Brussels sprouts. <laughs> All right, so we shouldn't even be trying to make kids eat I Brussels mean, sprouts, I mean, maybe a few weeks in, a few months in, but <laughs> believe it or not, green peas are really not scary to kids. They're green, they're a vegetable, they're kind of fun to squish. Yeah. You know, they can they can move them around their plate and it's kind of silly and or they fall on the floor and the dog eats them. Um, but it's a good segue into vegetables. Yeah. Green peas have been a hit. All right, I gotta remember. And this it's funny how this virtual stuff, you know, it was just thrown on us. And which it's probably made your job a lot easier being able to to work from home and from doing no. Oh yeah, so easy as all of us are experiencing working from home. Not as a mom, I guess, but you know, being able to talk to somebody from you know miles away. I think it's been nice. You know, I also have two little kids, and I'm very lucky that my kids are not toddlers anymore, so they can entertain themselves for an hour. I might have to kind of put on put it on mute and say be quiet for a few minutes, but generally it's been okay. I've enjoyed taking it have it taking it easy a little bit having a slow morning not having to rush out of the house and then feeling like I can just be in front of the computer with my patients without that rushing in the morning. Do you feel like the normal office hours boundaries are now obliterated? Like do you take calls at like yeah. 10 at night? <laughs> you know, I think that was like that before, unfortunately. Oh, you know, that's I how mean, my life's I mean, always when been. You're, when you're working with kids, like it gets kind of hard to have those boundaries because things come up and people are worried and, and they reach out and we try to be available to them. But I'm just always honest with my families as well that like I'm a parent also and we're kind of all in this together. And I found that really unifying right now as we're going through everything with COVID that like we were all fighting the same battle. And so if somebody's, you know, dog bombed in on the session, I was like, great, I love seeing pets. Uh, Mine might show up as well at some point, so it'll be fine. When you pulled up out front, I said, boys, go get your clothes on. Because they were still wearing (laughs) their pajamas. So they ran up and ran upstairs. Exactly. Yeah, I have to make sure my kids are dressed before I turn my computer on because sometimes they'll, used to they'll sneak into my office and grab some of the toys that I have next to me and, you know, I just have to turn around and make sure that they're fully clothed and, <laughs> yeah. you know, looking somewhat appropriate and not feral. <laughs> <laughs> but like we talked about, it's it's nice getting to see a window into my patient's home sometimes or seeing the dynamic or some kids are more comfortable not being like at the doctor's office, right? Mm -hmm. Being at home and I tell them to go get their favorite toys to show me and I usually have an assortment that I like to hold up on screen and show them too. And so we still find ways to bond even when we're not in the same space. I think it's really been nice to bond with the children in their own environment. They'll they'll show us their pets and they'll show us their favorite toys and what they built today and you know talk about if they talked to their grandma on the phone yesterday and it's really comforting for the kids I think to be relaxed and, and have just an easy conversation. Any predictions for the fall, school-wise? Oh, man. That's Uh-oh. a big question. I, <laughs> I think it depends what kind of school you're at. You know, we, we were talking earlier about my kids' school, and they have a lot of outdoor space, and they've been talking about using that space more in terms of breaking kids up out of the hallways and keeping the classrooms into a smaller size. Um, but I think it's going to be a curve. I think there are going to be hybrid programs, and I think we all have to be prepared, just like we shifted on a dime in March, that nobody's done this before. So we can do all this planning and have ideas for what we're going to do, and then we're going to go back in the fall, and we're going to have to make adjustments. So like, if we're asking kids to wear things, I especially think about a lot of the kids I work with with ADHD or autism and sensory issues. And asking them to wear a mask or a oh, face I'm sure shield. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm my ADHD kids, that's going to be really distracting for them. 
for some of our autism kids, that's just really not going to be something that they can tolerate. And so I anticipate, and I've been telling my families, just get back on my schedule in August and we'll talk once you know what your school is doing. Reach out to me and we'll come up with some plans to try and figure out how to approach it and how we need to advocate still for your kids to get their needs met, get the education that they're supposed to get while also being in an environment they're comfortable in. I think we're all learning more about our children too. Like, I feel like I've got to know my kids a lot better the last few months because I was like, oh, is this how you act at school? (laughs) Which is probably not true. They're probably better at school than they are No, it actually has been interesting. So we get parent assessments and teacher assessments, and sometimes there's a lot of difference between them. And I would say that, like, during during COVID, I think that those came more in, in line with one another. Right. And parents would be like, well, the teachers used to complain about this, and I didn't get it. And then I tried to make him do the work that they sent home, and, and I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> I respect the teachers a little bit more now, that's for sure. I think we all do. Yeah. I think we all know how much we, we owe them and value them and miss them a lot. For sure. As we're wrapping up, is there anything else that you want to get into? Yeah, so as we're talking about going back to school, um, another part of what we do at Sage Speech is offer one-on-one facilitation for kids in classrooms. So we will have a facilitator that you can um, work with who will come into your classroom, work just with your kid for that school day. And we, we do it by semester, so you don't have to sign up for an entire school year. But if your child needs a little bit more support in the classroom than the school can give them, uh, you can have a facilitator come in and help your child to be successful. So facilitation can help with behavior, um, social skills, just having a successful school day and being part of a typical classroom. Mm-hmm. That's weird. I mean, right? Like, hey, look, Steve's with Anderson today. Like, you know, the the majority of kids are in preschool or early elementary, uh, so it's a little different. It's usually the they're special, not judged at that right? Age. They're not judged. It's usually that the special person where the other kids are like, I want to play with that person. Why aren't they playing? You know, yeah. that, I want I want a person too. Um, but usually they get a lot of questions. From get the a lot other of questions. Kids. Okay. But other, it kind of looks like a third teacher, yeah. right? So it's a little bit less intrusive. Um, that person hangs back, and eventually, our goal is that if you walked into to the classroom by the end of the year you wouldn't know who that person was there for so okay. in the beginning of the year they're a little bit closer He's blending into the corner like, yeah. the, like, the, like, camouflage like. right we just wear the colors of the school and yeah, just blend yeah. into the back of the room <laughs> you'll find some of them laying down on the carpet you know during nap time and um, no but our facilitators are really fantastic people they typically have um, an undergraduate degree in some sort of pediatric related field like speech ot psychology behavioral aba things like that and they're working on their masters or they're going into special ed something like that um, and it can be really helpful for parents where who've had trouble staying at the school that they want to be at. You know, if they're in a preschool or an elementary school and their siblings at that school and they don't want to have to leave for a specialized school, they can have someone in their in the classroom with their child making it a successful situation. Okay. This is all super interesting. I think to it's me the now. plot of a movie, right? Like remember kindergarten cop? It could be like facilitator <laughs> cop. Like facilitator. Which, which I let my kids watch during this quarantine. We had a great time watching that. I had to fast forward through some of the, you know, yeah. inappropriate parts, but they 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 enjoyed that it's one. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor. Yeah. Have, have you been to the Spring Cinnamon Tap House drive-in yet? No. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. It's like a whole tailgate scene out front. Everyone's like throwing football, setting up cornhole, and then, you know, it gets dark and the movie's on. That's so. fantastic. And that's right near you guys, right? The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. there it is. It's a super smart way to use their outdoor space. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been? I have not because my kids are pumpkins by 9 p.m. Oh, when okay. we start because yeah. I still have little ones. Mine are all six and under still. 
Uh, so are mine, but. <laughs> <laughs> Take a pillow, let them sleep yeah. in the back. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, That's a good you, idea. Just bring out the chairs and they sleep in the chairs. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, we've done a couple outdoor movies with some friends, but we're going to have to try that. That sounds like a lot of fun. It is. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. All right. So, what are some tips for like Dunwoody parents? If it, get at a young age. What if, that's what I've taken from this is young yeah, age. Yeah, early intervention's important. Make sure you ask first. Yeah, I mean, getting information yeah. lets you make the decision. So don't be scared of information because I think that's what happens for a lot of parents is they're scared about what the answer to the question is going to yeah, be. Yeah, they don't want to hear it. But the answer's there. And it's going to be the same answer whether you ask it when kids are young or when they're older. And again, if we ask it when they're young, we can do things to set them up for success so people aren't asking those questions potentially when they're older as well. And we see a lot of parents asking their pediatricians first, which can be a good first step. We work really closely with a lot of pediatrician groups here in Dunwoody to make sure that they have the right information to give to parents. Um, You know, I often say pediatricians are not speech therapists or psychologists or occupational therapists. They're doctors. So sometimes they don't know exactly when to refer or at what point they need to be referring. Mm -hmm. So reaching out and and having a consultation or a screening, which is less, you know, stressful than a large scale evaluation can give you some answers about whether it's the right time to take a step. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks for coming Yeah, this was really good. This is fun. Thank you. Thank you for having us.